0: Welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette.
1: i uh, got Chris Mares and James Lincoln. Just to review, wanted to talk about sound dummies. And then Jim is the uh, lead-in for this new edition of uh, Model Railroad Hobbyist that's out there. So let's just get started. Yeah, I wanted to talk about a subject that just has been rolling around my mind for a while, but especially now that I have a very small model railroad. In fact, I started last week rebuilding it. I put all the bench work back up, and I've been noodling uh, how I'm going to lay out the track and stuff. Still, same room. It's just I'm doing some things differently on how I position the rail, where the main lines run, to try and optimize, especially the rural scenery with the the rock cliffs and the trees and stuff, more curvature so there's more interest in it, not just straight runs down a wall. So as I've been remotoring these locomotives and upgrading a lot of them to Tsunami 2, when I've got, for instance, four MTHPAs, I don't have enough cars (laughs) that require Four powered units. So I thought. Even though I I dialed back. The uh, DDE feature on Tsunami 2. I thought. Why couldn't I just. Make two of these guys. Sound dummies. And two powered. And. Because all we got to do. Is take the drive shaft. And the worm gear out. And they'll still. Notch up through the throttle they'll do the startup, they'll do everything, even the the lights, they'll be trailing units. And so then that got me to thinking about, well, I've got these three CSX E9s. I don't need three of those even with 11 passenger cars behind it. So in redoing the railroad, I'm going with a 3% grade about half the uh, perimeter of the groom will be either going up a brief couple feet at and then down on a 3% grade and a lot of that will be curved, so that's going to add some friction, but I'm thinking you know, even with these Protos remotored with Kato uh, motors, why do I need three powered units and so I've done two of them with uh Tsunami 2s. And the third unit that's gonna be the Sound Dummy will still have the old proto-gargantuan motor in it, but there won't be any power feed. It'll be there just as ballast. And there I'm gonna put an economic. Yeah, a little less expensive. It's never gonna be the lead unit, so all I'm going to be concerned about is that the number boards light up because I've added uh, lit number boards to all of them. And so I look at all the trains I normally run, and I go, yeah, this has got a four-unit contest. I don't need four units. Yeah, some of the bigger Genesis locomotives will pull a ton. And so just a thought that occurred to me, What's your what's your thinking on that? Well, we
0: had a little technical difficulty. For the first part of the recording, Chris's audio did not get recorded. And since he charges me double if he has to redo something, I'm going to fill in his answers as he expressed his concerns. Uh, I can't do his voice, so I'll just do it in my voice. And my insertion of Chris's thoughts will be... Preceded by this musical interlude.
1: I'm going to have the same situation with Genesis lashups, with Atlas lashups. Right now I'm working with two sets of locomotives, the remoter. Proto 2000 passenger unit and the PA. The PAs haven't been installed yet. I've torn them apart. I've got the Tsunami 2s and the Econami sitting there waiting to go in. I'm waiting for JT to send me the prototype PA speaker and so I can verify the fit and everything. I can certainly do that with those remoted Proto because two of them already have the Tsunami 2 in it. I can quickly put in a... uh, economy and the third one, and just run it through and observe what you are talking about.
0: And what he was pointing out is that on Tsunami 2, when you turn on the dynamic brake with the first application of F4, it applies what they're terming light dynamic brakes doesn't impact locomotive speed press the uh, f4 again and you get heavy dynamic brakes and it reduces uh, the engine speed or the train speed by whatever value you have set in cv116 of subsequent application of f4 returns it to light dynamic brakes. That's all well and good. Uh, Economy is sound only, so.
1: Now, you mentioned another thing was tsunami too with regular tsunami. And I remember George in one of the conversations said that they tried by how they configured Tsunami 2 with the presumption that at some point in time it's going to be paired in a common with a regular or a first generation Tsunami. Did I understand that correctly? Okay. Alright. Then, and of course the downside of all this is I've been doing this work on these things with no track to run locomotives around on. I've had to put them on rollers on the test track, but, you know, (laughs) they don't move. It's just the wheels spin, but they don't go anywhere. And then, okay, well, maybe in another week or two, I'll have at least the first main line down around where I can do it. Because when I got really crazy bored because it was nothing to do and I'd already planted every space in this yard with flowers and bushes when the house was for sale. I would go up there and I thought I'm going to put ground lights in. So I took a ready to run sd 40 and I took the E's because they were already torn apart and figured out a process to put ground lights in them. I looked at how you did it on the SDP-40F's and I've I've played around with two different sized bulbs and it's actually pretty straightforward and easy uh, especially with a Dremel and a flexible uh, drive shaft and a cutting disc and did that but unless I've got a Tsunami 2 I can't control the brightness of the ground light. I can't get a subtle, just glow down there. It's like when I first fired up the uh, tsunami. It's like there's searchlights under the cab, focused on the uh, on the ground below. So it may force me to switch a few more. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to upgrade to uh, Tsunami 2 so I can control the brightness. But it's a neat effect, and I blame it on you for doing it on the STP 40Fs.
0: And here Chris inserted and corrected me that the Economy also has a facility to adjust brightness on two of the feeds as long as you're choosing the basic on off light option i had overlooked that
1: but it's uh, yes well and you did a good job on the number board lights too very very convincing uh, so the easing the pas you know i've got the number boards lit RTRs and stuff I've got a there's gonna be some drilling and reworking to get in there because you yeah the number board isn't meant to be lit. It's just solid plastic, at least on my vintage of RTRs. That may be something right. I wanna go.
0: And Chris. Has mysteriously appeared.
1: Okay, I'll just pretend it's lit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a. The, there's actually a pretty good video on how to light up the the number boards on an RTR locomotive. It's it's on YouTube. It's okay. a TSG multimedia sort of how to type thing. Oh, and uh, TSG? Dan Cordopasta goes through okay. TSG multimedia. It, it's a free. Free video, um, and Dan Kordopassi does us how to uh, how to detail an Atheron RTR SD40T-2. Uh, but they play it in like four minutes, and you could quickly see, you know, it's all sped up and stuff, but you could kind of see his approach. What he does is he removes the number board, uh, uh, the actual number boards themselves, revealing the backing behind the number boards, drilling out, I think, one or two holes, and putting like a an or, 0402 LED in each one of those. Okay. That that, that lights them up from the back.
0: Okay.
2: Um, another thing that he does to the number board itself is he strips off all the black and the printing and then puts on a decal where the decal is backed up with white. You know, some some of those microscale decal number boards are they print white first and then black on top of the white. And those are the ones that you can light up.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, the the white is transparent enough where you can light it up, and then it'll it'll you can see the the, the white glow through, but the black kind of blocks it out, blocks the light coming through. It's it's a nice effect.
1: Okay, and I've seen a number of diesels uh, in you know prototype diesels with. Four bulbs, one bulb behind each number on the number board. So you get a bright spot even during the day. And I thought, okay, take off on what, uh, Dan did. Yeah, you could drill holes and either light it with, uh, audio or not audio, uh, clear styrene or what's the flexible stuff? The clear stuff that's flexible tube
2: the flexible tube that's just like heat shrink no no it's right? a
1: it's a clear light
2: Oh, fiber optic
1: fiber optic thank you <laughs> it was coming to me but too slow yeah that would work too all right
2: all right but all that would be a whole lot easier to do in proto 48 wouldn't it
1: yeah Jim, you could do that more easily, right? Probably. Probably. <laughs> you could put ground lights uh, on a boxcar if you had a a car.
3: True. Chris, did you post that video on the Facebook site? Which hey, one's that? The one about doing the number boards, because it sounds familiar. Did you post a link to that video?
2: I, oh, no. I can't I can't remember but um, it's been out on on YouTube for quite some time.
3: Well, it's just uh, it just seems like I remember a sped up video of putting lights and number boards in something and I know right. it was HO and it's not something I'd go searching for.
2: Yeah, yeah. It might have been. I, I I forgot if I did. Okay.
1: I think it was on TSG's site cuz I was just on the podcast Facebook page, and there's nothing like that there. Whereas Dan, I recall now, Chris, the series where he just became insanely detailed on a on the SD40, and I remember vaguely him talking about number board. Like now, I'm going to go back and scan through his uh, video podcast on see actually what you're talking about. and It didn't it.
2: look that hard.
1: Oh, it, I can understand. When you said it, it just kind of went, oh, yeah, that's straightforward.
2: Yeah. Nice. Uh, it, it didn't look that hard. Of course, like I said, it'd probably be easier doing Proto 48. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <clears throat> well,
1: Proto 48 is big enough. Most things to are easier
2: in O-scale.
1: Oh, you're pretty... I, I was telling Jim about just I was down at the local train store last week, and he is a big O-scale dealer. Everything from USA Trains to MTH and, of course, Line L, all their different lines. And I had put a sound system in a Kato N-scale locomotive for one of his customers. And he said, hey, how how would you like to do it on this big one? And there was this... And the showcase is Lionel 484. And beside it was a big boy. And he said, yeah, I've got 10 or 15 of those in the back. And my jaw just dropped. I said, you've got 10 or so big boy Lionel. I guess that, what is that, Jim, their legacy series? The one that's just really incredibly detailed and stuff.
3: Still three. Yeah, I think so. Right, I I believe so, yeah.
1: Oh, but golly, I went, wow, that wish I had the room for that baby. My whole lot of house that's on isn't big enough for that. So,
2: yeah, I wonder how much real estate all those big boys take up back.
1: Oh, yeah, you
2: gotta imagine they take up a, a good chunk.
3: Yeah, probably. The thing that kills me is, um, there are so many O scale. Big boys. Yeah. That but they sell them. So I Well what are you? Going can't to say get, you can't I, get anyone to make you can't get anyone to make a GP 40 2 but everybody and their brother makes That yeah, what's boy. a big boy?
2: Definitely big a man boys,
3: of these. How many big boys did they make? Like twelve? Twenty-five, I think. Okay, so they made twenty-five big boys and three thousand GP 40 2s but they won't. Yeah, no, nah, nah.
1: Well, yeah, you need a lot of room for even a Proto Forty Eight Big Boy. The guy in North Scottsdale had an outdoor O scale railroad with USA trains Big Boys. Several of course, they'd been converted to battery power and uh, radio control. Fact that and the trains, you know, where I work for last couple of years before we moved, did the conversions. Yeah, there's a totally different perspective when you see all that H or O scale motive power going around, you know, four acres of desert. <laughs> it just blew my mind. So Chris, what else have you been doing?
2: Well, I've been kind of working on a an article with a different approach to, I guess what it'd be is kind of like targeting specific rolling stock per an era that you model okay i mean there's so much there's so much good stuff in rtr nowadays that you kind of want to target your time and target your collection to what would be the most per typical per your interest and that's kind of the theme of this article i'm i'm trying to put together like a 1979 1980 era Pacific Fruit Express reefer cold block for the SP. And um, what I'm trying to do is figure out how much do I need to buy of each different class of refrigerator car. So what I did is I looked at some historical data going back to, like, I'd say the early 80s where there's been a few magazine articles about, you know, how many refrigerator cars were in each class and how the breakdown happened when it went from UPFE to SPFE, all that stuff once the split occurred. And um, my approach is, okay, well, the logical thinking is, of course, the most dominant class of refrigerator car will be represented by the most quantity in a a 48-car refrigerator train, not having any sort of uh you know like a a wheel count or anything like that um so i'm kind of assuming that okay well what is the most common car uh how did the split happen and all that stuff. taking that all into account running the numbers so i'm kind of modeling a train by the numbers and it's been pretty eye-opening because i'm also corroborating that the those numbers with actual photographic evidence and um, yeah, so uh, without giving too much away, I've, I've been working on that. I'm trying to get to the point of uh, of actually putting some uh, some words to to the outcome of all my data crunching. I've, I've done all the data crunching, and it, it was pretty astounding. Um, turns out that seventy percent of the train will be the earlier class the ones with the peak roof versus the one with the curve roof, That that's the big delineation in, in PFE stuff. The, the later class refrigerator cars came with like a round roof, but the earlier class ones had, had um, a conventional box car roof that terminated in a peak on, in the middle of the car. Um, and then from that, they're all broken down into the subclasses. But, you know, since the roof is the most visually evident thing on a train in HO scale, um, Realizing that 70% of your train has to have that peak roof style on it versus the curved roof was eye-opening because I've been collecting all these freight cars and they've all been the curved roof design. So I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) I'm glad to verify this now, you know.
1: Okay, and what? You said late 70s?
2: Yes, late 70s, early 80s.
1: You know, I have reefers. Uh, High-Q reefers in appropriate to that period that I never, because they're just incidental to one of my concepts, not doing what you're doing, never realized there were two distinctly different roofs. Who built the cars in real life?
2: Well, all the cars post, let's say, 19, all the cars really built around 64 and later were built by for the Pacific Fruit Express were built by Pacific Car and Foundry. OK. And PCF kind of started, uh, you know, starting with the first major 57-foot mechanical refrigerator car, being the R7013. This one had a peak roof and some differences on the plug doors than than the later classes. But these are all very subtle, distinguishing things. Um, that make a PFE train realistic when you start breaking down, okay, well, you have that so many of these kind of cars and so many of these kinds of cars and so many of that and the other. Yeah. It starts putting together kind of like, well, yeah, they're all orange cars, but each one of them is individual. Um, and that's when it gets really interesting because that then you look at a unit train and it's all not just brand-new orange orange cars each one will have different patches applied each one will have different reporting marks because PFE changed it for over a course of you know 20 years really interesting stuff that will really capture an essence of of that train and um, it's been an eye-opening kind of like going back and just rethinking my approach to modeling this train
1: that's that is interesting now these are obviously mechanical reefers,
2: so, right. Uh,
1: at that period of time, were they still undermount generators, or had they progressed to the more modern where you see the carrier unit mounted high on one end?
2: The, this this predates that. Okay. These were carrier and train mechanicals that were built into an end of a car. okay um but the but they weren't outboard like what you see today on like a uh a, a reefer trailer or something like that no that that, that predates that
1: okay you are gonna put sound in some of
2: them oh yeah oh yeah and uh, <laughs> well the the thing of it too is um some of these refrigerator cars they don't react to an auto off sequence. It's, This is back in the 60s where these things just ran. There was no technology to turn off the engine.
1: Okay.
2: If you turned off the engine, the car would pretty much not refrigerate anymore. (laughs) So it was either on or off, right? Okay. Yeah, they were on or off. You know, so um, uh, I'm looking into options for that, and then also trying to avoid phasing among the cars. So I want to have different sounds for the different cars that are represented when they're on. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting challenge. I think I'm going to probably end up using some Digitrack sound bugs and uploading my own own sound to the sound bug, and uh, see if I could even get a few with uh, effect light outputs on them, so I could light up the the di- light up the light behind the dial. Yeah. That shows the you know the temperature and also how how much fuel you have in it, and, you know stuff like that.
1: Okay. The other thing you can do to vary the sound, because I did this when I did some for the store, was use different speakers. Mm-hmm. Everything from just a really terrible tinny speaker to some of the, uh, especially the larger Dumbo type sugar cubes, as they were called, had oh, a yeah. rich lower. Uh, sound, and that gave me variation between two and three cars, so they all didn't sound like they were, you know, had the same outboard motor on
2: Right, right.
1: Okay, yeah, things you can do to make that different. There's something else to throw at JT. Hey, when are you going to do a <laughs> reefer speaker? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure be all all interested in that one.
1: Well, he just uploaded onto his website a whole slew of. I'm going to use the term generic speakers. You know, a lot of stuff that you and I have seen from him and used was all specific uh-huh. application design, and these are, you know, by size. Oh, I need mean, one oh. that big, that wide, that deep to fit in a Kato or do this, and do that. Uh,
2: right. Of
3: course, my response my response would have been, well, I've got one that fits in an O scale reefer. Yeah, you do, <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh, oh you want an H O scale reefer. Yeah, oh I didn't mean
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah his uh, the E unit speakers that he did to fit the old uh, style Proto 2000s. Just incredible sound coming out of these uh, old Proto 2000s that I'd remotored and I went, wow, that not even sound like the same locomotive, so. Yeah. And I put some of his in some of your Genesis units and uh, oh yeah, he's doing good work. He, he
2: does do good work. It's it's neat to really experience how good the sound could, could actually be.
1: Yeah. And, of course, he now carries, you know, soundtracks and TCS. And mm-hmm. I think he all, but once he got his first soundtracks stocking order in, as of middle of last week, he had almost sold it all. He had one of this and one of this <laughs> left and I went, good job, boy, word is spreading quickly. So that's
2: great. That's good news. Oh, I'm yeah. glad to hear that he's he's getting people to to check out his stuff.
1: Yeah. So yeah I, I appreciate his uh his work there. I always ask this but I because I'm interested. So we've got the the remoter redesigned frame for the tunnels so that when you look through the screening on the shell, you don't see gear tower. That's right? Yes. Okay. All right, so I'll be in line for a couple of those when they hit. But they're not due. That's much.
2: looking to be February. Okay. All right. So a little bit of time after Christmas to kind of like regroup and Save my allowance <laughs> start. and hope. Hold on. <laughs> Yeah, look for another project during wintertime because that's when all the snow starts type thing, you know. Okay. Well, maybe not for you, but the rest of us.
1: Hey, I'm in Long sleeves today because it's only 63 outside.
2: <laughs> oh, boo-hoo. A <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: little, little more chilly up in uh, Central Illinois and over in uh, the Massachusetts area. Hi, guys.
2: Yeah, just a little.
1: Just a little. I was watching Wisconsin's game yesterday, and they were playing in a snowstorm. Uh, uh, that was cool. Yeah,
4: Quite literally, literally, that was
1: cool. Yeah. So, but yeah, we've been in the, heck, near 90 last week, and I'm going, please,
4: jeez, oh,
1: ball get here. Uh, yeah. Now, Jim... Shifting gears. Tell me about how this article evolved for the uh, new model railroad hobbyist edition. What called running extra?
3: Yes, um, how it evolved. I, I just I basically just um, got off my duff and did it. It's been one. That I've been wanting to do for a long time. Yeah. But um, I just finally buckled down and said, you know what I'll do with this. I, I, I took pictures along the way. I asked, uh, I asked Joe uh, if he was interested, and he said he was. So that's the short, short version. Okay, but
1: I guess what I'm asking is you initiated contact with him about the the Crater 48 but it sounds like he already had it was a good marriage because he was already thinking about this doing it
3: he didn't you mean this new magazine yeah
1: they supplement I the regular MRH
3: I had no clue about it okay he didn't he didn't say anything
1: okay yeah because yeah I mean you can buy a year subscription right which gives right. you the so, extra 150 200 pages that his uh, promo piece said would be included in the along with the regular free content
3: which i think right. is, shoot that's that's a two deal. bucks Yeah, two bucks an issue yeah it's yeah. uh no i mean it's i mean my article was it's like eight thousand words and 60 photographs so
1: that's a lot.
3: That yeah, yeah, actually. So because as I was writing it, I was like, how do I cut it back? Right. You know, there really is in in my opinion, you know, I just if you're gonna if I'm gonna do an article like that, it's it's a complete soup to nuts of how I approached modifying the the Lionel gondola yeah. to be more prototypical. And so, you know, things to think about, things to do, this is why you don't do that. And so it's stuff like that. And yeah, I just didn't, I couldn't, it's like, how do I cut this out to make it make any sense at all? Um, Because it's not a concept article, it's a building article. I mean, when you start cutting out steps, I, I don't, I have not seen the article, how they are presenting it, but what I sent to him, you know, I didn't. Cut anything out, but I had very dutifully taken photographs uh, along the way. The nice thing is, it's all done with an iPhone. All of it, even the cover photo is an iPhone. Okay. Whoa.
1: Uh, quite frankly, especially the the ten and the later model iPhones have a daggone good camera. No, I mm-hmm. do that a lot. If I'm shooting prototype tests or something for a JT, I'll just use the iPhone camera for the video right. or the, the still photos because for the application, it's excellent. Why well, drag out the tripod and the single lens uh, and all that stuff? The Shoot the iPhone does it. I can still edit it in. Photoshop or in the movie maker or whatever, but yeah, no, iPhone is very, very good. Apologies needed there.
3: Nope, I um, oh, he made some comment, but it's like, yeah, I did, and and the cover photo, I just took it in my backyard. Um, yeah, one of the photos that I sent him, I, I didn't send him one photo because you could see the trash barrel in the back. <laughs> and I posted it on I posted it on one of the groups, and I said, yeah, I didn't send this one because it has the trash barrel in the back. And somebody commented, oh, I was going to ask you, you know, where you got the trash barrel. It look, looks really good. <laughs> like, what, what scale is that trash barrel? Yeah. Like, well, I could one. tell you uh, that there's no way that I could tell, there's no way that you could pay me enough for that trash barrel. It's just... Priceless. So
1: all right, well let me let me ask you then. So all this detail work, if I understand it, is stuff that you have made the the parts with your three D printing. You know, you've done the CAD drawings and the three D parts. So I'm guessing for eight thousand words you're doing more than just new bolsters and uncoupling letters. What else did
3: you do to the car? Um, what else did I do to the car? Um, well, I had to carve off the ends. Um, literally, I had to carve off the ends with a milling machine uh, because the ends on a drop-end gondola are totally different. Um, there's a lot more meat to them than the... Um, than that on a standard end gondola, okay. so it was that, and you know, reform drop, Garrett grabs, and I measured and created a, a a 3D printed end that I had printed by Shapeways. So I had to do that, yeah. Drop grabs, stirrup steps, yeah, and it was really tricky to get the uh, the working cut levers. Because, you know, what kind of material are you going to use for a bracket that isn't going to bust yeah. when you try to lift the cut lever? <laughs> Small problem. You know, um, so now, there's a okay. bunch of... Okay,
1: clarify. Now, if, when I grab your gondola and I lift the cut lever, that's, that's a movable part, but it's not uncoupling the, the
3: Yes, it cars. does. It does, yeah. Uh-huh. It does. It actually pulls the pin. Yes.
1: Get out of town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, did you three D print the couplers?
3: Oh no, no, no. The print the couplers are Protocraft. Are from Protocraft, so they're they're old Clouser couplers, and they are working. They are very prototypical, and they have working knuckles. Um, so you actually can pull the pin you can you can put a piece of metal in it so they met they operate magnetically as well yeah but you can use it there is a way to hook up a cut lever so that the cut lever actually will pull the pin wow Mm.
1: i can't wait for this article though to get published so i can see that is amazing Ah.
3: um and on a on a somewhat separate note i now have in my hot little hands um, the, some, um, what is the word, um, samples of O scale, um, sorry, my father's in the background yelling at the dogs. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't
4: know
3: if you can hear, I don't know if you can hear him or not, so that's, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so they're actually the type E. um, upper and lower shelf okay the the double shelf and lower shelf couplers and the type h tight locks i have samples of working versions of those and uh those i did those i did 3d design for but they're cast in brass
1: okay Were well, you going to do ABD valves and all that kind of stuff so we can watch the uh, brake levers move in and out with the build no. up and drop of an air pressure? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. All right, Chris, uh, you've got your next level of uh, realism. You're going to have to add to those reefer cards.
2: Yeah, I'll put that on F uh, thirty. Yeah. Yeah. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, get a little like uh, get uh, George Ted. Help you out with a micro motor so that you can uh, power it to lift it up and uncouple. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, jeez.
2: Oh, there. So you're there. that, or you just use a magnet? <laughs> yeah, a magnet works. Magnet <laughs> well, works.
1: I mean, Chris, that means we've already got toilet flushing sounds on Tsunami Two. What we now need is a working
2: HO scale toilet for the nose.
3: There you go. You no, know, those- the...
2: And to get uh, the smells right, too, uh, right? Yeah. The only, th- the, only th-
3: the only thing that I will say is that the toilets on locomotives don't flush. Which well, yeah.
1: just goes into a holding tank, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, they don't flush. Please.
2: <laughs> they do in passenger cars, but <clears throat> not on locomotives. Sometimes. Yeah, not not always. Sometimes. sometimes. When you're lucky.
4: Well,
3: it, well, the the past the toilets that we have on our cars, some flush, and some go directly into a tank. So, well, it's a yes. lot better
1: than it used to be in the forties and fifties, where the car well, was just emptied out to the on the right away.
3: Well, small problems.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's- so. Yeah, but now we're getting silly on that. Well, we could certainly do working windshield wipers.
2: Yeah. For the non existent rain?
1: Yes. Well, no, <laughs> you use a plant mister. And so you just yeah, leave yeah. the right. locomotive on the mist and you just put it down and it'll wipe it off. Of course, it right. may also shut out, short out your power, but the windshield Details. wipers will work. Yeah. Unless detailed.
3: you're going battery power. Yeah. Ah,
1: there we go. The Dead Rail Society.
3: I actually have a kit uh from um Duncan McCree to dead rail one of my locomotives. I'm just waiting for um a loc sound decoder from Matt Herman to arrive. So uh once that once I get that I'll I'll install um the battery power in my mp15
1: what kind of your locomotive what kind of amperage and current does it draw
3: um the atlas ones aren't too bad i you know a couple of amps maybe um they're not they're not bad some of the other old scale locomotives the modern ones are a lot better but the um and no one's are, sorry, my father keep yelling. keeps yelling at me. Um uh, sorry about that. Uh that's okay. I can Yeah, it's a, it a couple of amps.
1: All right, because you know, whereas new modern HO you know is drawing maybe three, four tenths of an amp.
3: Yeah, so, my um my gp60 with a fall harbor motor and it pulls about a third of an amp
1: wow that surprises me
3: oh yeah it's ridiculous um i you know at times it it really pushes and goes to 0.4 amps
1: okay so and again pardon my ignorance of o-scale but are you guys still running at what 12 to 14 volts on the on the rail?
3: Um, I'm using the same, you know, for DCC, I'm using the same amount as anything else. It's 12 volts. It's 12 okay. volts the motor.
1: All right. That's amazing. The one of the big Lego motors would be under half an amp. Okay. Must be, are they cordless motors?
3: I don't know um, the The person who, inst- I mean, it's a custom install, so it's it's hard to say. Uh, it, it it isn't something that came from the factory with that so
1: Wow that's amazing How are you coming down in the in your basement and getting the uh, ceiling and lighting and making yeah. progress there I,
3: I I make progress, but I'm slow so um,
1: <laughs> it's okay you know I, I
3: don't do it for a living so i'm I'm getting lighting in i um, second time and you know, second time in a in a week, I I punctured the the screw gun through the, the same, the exact same spot on my index finger on my left hand. Ooh. Hang on one second. Oh,
1: that yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. good times.
3: Oh, it was great. I mean, I literally got the tip of the Phillips head into the same hole in my finger. It was great. <laughs>
1: oh, God, we've all done it. So that's the only reason I'm chuckling. We've all done it. I was working at the uh, at the work table there with a number eleven tip and a you know exacto knife, and it slipped out of my hand and as it fell between my leg, My reflex was just to close my legs to catch it, just the way I do with a wheel or a, a detail part, and I did it. The timing was perfectly. It was perpendicular to my thigh. <laughs> And so when I slammed my legs together, it just sunk it up to the the shaft in my uh, thigh muscle. And I went, Oh yeah, that hurts. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Grab the toilet paper because it's blood a lot.
3: Run a good pair mm, of pants too. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's coming along. I have, at least there's a lot more light down there. Um, because I'm installing lighting as I go. So um, y- you know, I'm not just, you know, with the two pool. I had a couple of pole chain lights and a uh and one LED shop light, and which was okay, but you know, now I'm I'm in you know, as I install, cause I'm building a soffit um around the waste pipe and various other things. And so that's allowing me it's actually kind of going to be kind of a natural balance um and uh so as i'm working on that i keep installing more and more lights as i go so i'll go down one wall and then i'll do the other it's a kind of a it's it's easy but it's kind of a complicated little space because the ceilings are so low um the good thing about it it's since you know you have to the, the soffit for the waste pipe um, that's where the railroad is going to be anyway so it doesn't make as much difference that it's six inch low you know eight inches lower <laughs> than everything else because you wouldn't be standing there anyway so once the railroad's in
1: uh, yeah T- especially in an overhung basement heights were typically maybe if you were lucky eight feet.
3: Uh, no, this is seven. Okay. So, you know, That's
1: there's... Lucky, so.
3: Right, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, when they redid the basement, instead of what they opted to do was to keep the entire basement the same level instead of making the new part of the basement eight feet deep, which would have made sense to me, <laughs> but they just decided that, oh, yeah, we'll just make it the whole the same height the whole way it's like okay so you had this perfect opportunity to make this nice headroom space that you knew i was going to use and you didn't great but not the first of the silly decisions the contractor made so
1: okay we can always go down there and dig up the floor and lower it and then just report it kidding i'm just kidding
3: he, well, it's theoretically possible, but he did a very nice job pouring the floor, so...
1: Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I was being facetious. That's an expensive yeah. proposition.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you you know, you dig it up, you just shovel it out the windows, but... Like I said, theoretically, I mean... Oh, anyway, that's a long, painful... Um, saga, so because I wasn't paying rapt attention and my father who being you know 81 is wasn't paying rapt attention either he just trusted everybody to make good decisions for him and they didn't so there you there you go so yep it happens so the house is nice and
1: now I did my wife goes what do you want for your birthday I said I'll write it down I'm thinking I've got too much railroad stuff, but I need to start selling off what? cars and what? locomotives. What did you just say <laughs> Her- sounds like heresy, but uh
3: yeah I, I chris chris I think he needs to i think he needs to turn in his model railroader card <laughs>
2: you're cut off <laughs> he's, he's
3: like it's like that's it doesn't matter whether you think. If somebody's going to give you model railroad stuff, you take it. That's just well, so. I
1: did, I did, and so she oh. goes, "What do you want?" And I said, "Well, I want to go from walk around corded NCE control. I've got a, a five amp Pro system up there, and it's a short room. The standard coiled cord lets me walk across the room." I said, "I want to go uh, wireless." So she bought one of the plug-in things with the antenna and then a uh, wireless ProCab. So that should be here this week. And I'll hook it up to even just a three-foot piece of track just to watch it work.
2: Yeah, those are pretty nice, though, Paul.
1: Well, at the show there in uh, Charlotte last January when you and I were both there and I went by the NCE booth i talked to one of their engineer guys at length he said oh yeah just buy this buy this this plugs in there this plugs in there and you're good to go so i went okay time to join the 20th century here and go with radio control one of my friends had it out in phoenix and i thought it was the neatest thing in the world
2: time to also get that wireless phone huh
1: Ah, uh, yeah put an app on the phone <laughs> How many apps are out there that will run your railroad?
2: I think there's two, one for Android, one for iPhone.
1: Really? Well, what's the interface that would te- take my iPhone app and actually make it talk with the NCE Crowcat?
2: Well, it'd probably be like, what is that? It would be a computer, but I think you can also use like a sprog to do it too. Okay. Hi. Right. It'd so, be like uh, what is that called? Raspberry sprog or something like that? A Raspberry Pi sprog? Okay.
1: So is it? It's actually is it Bluetooth or Wi-Fi?
2: It's Wi-Fi.
1: Okay. All right. Maybe you. Maybe you're right. Maybe it goes through your laptop Wi-Fi and somehow
2: hooks into well if you got the pro system you should have like a either a serial port or like a USB port on it or something like that I believe that there is yes and the the cheap way would be just to if you have like a laptop lying around you could use use the laptop to help do the conversion from Wi-Fi to to talk to your uh, command station, but if you want something a little bit more specific, I think it's a Raspberry Pi does the same thing. And sometimes those Raspberry Pi sprogs, I think they have the JMRI on them and all that good stuff. So no, it's all right, yeah, nice. it has like a USB port, Wi-Fi, all that stuff on it, and they're not terribly expensive. They're and about a hundred dollars maybe. Frog? Yeah, it's like a PySprog or something like that. Okay. All
1: right.
2: Honestly, I've been thinking about getting one for myself. It's just whatever I could do to simplify the whole DCC programming thing. So it's, you know, it's just up and running and ready to go. Okay. Without having to go, well, let me launch this Java program on my computer and make sure I have the USB cord plugged in and all this stuff. <laughs>
1: what about the proto throttle that's the one that actually has the the throttle the brake lever and all that stuff on it yeah have you
2: seen one i've i've ran one they're cool all
1: right they'll interface with nce or digitrax or anybody
2: Uh, yeah they interface with both um what you they will want you to have that whole Pi sprag thing hooked up or a computer, uh, so then they can tap into it through their controller. They have their own sort of it's kind of interesting because they have their own sort of wireless protocol, and then you need to bridge the two with a or bridge the Wi-Fi protocol with their protocol together with their own sort of thing. So, it's, it's kind of like a lily pad thing. You got to kind of leap across a couple lily pads to get to what you want to do. But I believe the Pi Sprog gives you the infrastructure so you can get a, a proto throttle. All
1: right, because I read some of the comments on the, the forums, uh, MRH and others, about, you know, guys just really like it once they try it. It's cool good
2: no doubt it's it's really cool it, it'd be really cool if they had like some sort of dead rail interface for that thing oh yeah
3: the only thing that I the only thing that I would say is that the way um, Duncan McCree's system works is you' you're actually running standard DCC. So it, it probably would work. Probably with Duncan's system. Tam Valley Depots, Tam Valley Depots system.
2: Right. Well, I think it would definitely work in something like O scale just because the, the, the throttle receiver for the proto throttle is a little bit bigger than what would fit inside like a HO scale size diesel. But I think you could probably make it work in a no scale one.
1: Okay. But now, Jim, go back to you just made the comment that the dead rail that Duncan McCree has works with normal DCC. So is that wireless transmission of the DCC commands to the decoder? Or are they still being fed through? The rail.
3: You weren't talking to me, right? You were yeah, talking to Chris.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I was.
3: Oh. Sorry. No, I no that's
1: okay. I'll just put the... uh
3: what what was the question?
1: The question was, you made the comment that uh-huh. Duncan's system interface yep. with regular DCC. Yes. Is that wirelessly or is it coming through the rail?
3: Oh yeah, no no, it's wireless. I mean, it has to be, it has to be wireless for it to be um, battery powered. To be battery powered, yeah. Okay. So hi, but. Well, I just it's, wanted to clarify. I'm I'm sorry. It's just you know, um, things going on here. And anyway, so I had to have the I had to have the microphone muted up because again, my father was here talking to me.
1: <laughs> Let's get you one of those flashing lights. No talking during when the light is flashing, just like in a well, movie theater.
3: He's absolutely correct. I could have closed the door, but yeah. <laughs> okay. that's okay.
1: All right. Well, I mean, you know, it's.
4: So he's watching the puppies
1: while you're in here talking?
3: Yes. I hope he doesn't print. Yes.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, he is. All right. So, Chris, they're in Champaign, Do you belong to a yes. a Fremo group up there, or what are you doing for a railroad?
2: Really, nothing. Um, I I haven't been able to run on a, a freemo layout, and well, let's. I haven't been able to really participate 100% in a Fremo layout for quite some time. Number one enemy to that is just my time on weekends is it's getting pretty restrictive. I I got other things that I've, I've been doing and to kind of block out three days for a Fremo setup has just been not attainable. So it's been a few years since I've actually pulled out Fremo modules, set them up with, with a, a group of guys and really got into some operations and been there consistently throughout the weekend. Um, I was able to participate for 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so over at the Fremo layout in Kansas City, which was just awesome. I wish I could have had a day to just run trains on that layout. Uh, the The Kansas City layout just had a really good sort of uh, assortment of modules from all over the country and also Canada. I think there were a few that came down from Canada, but as far as my participation in Fremo in Illinois, it really hasn't progressed, unfortunately, okay. as much as I'd like it to. All
1: right. Now, how far this are you from is, St. Louis? This Lewis? is
2: normally the section where I
3: would say slacker, but I'm not much better So. <laughs> <laughs> how far are
1: you from St. Louis, Chris?
2: I'm about almost three hours away.
1: Okay, so it's not like you could just hop down there and uh, run on... Ken Patterson's thing, that, that's a major endeavor.
2: Yeah, and there again, it's it's one of those things, even when I do go down to Ken's and participate in his uh, What's Neat This Week podcast, I'm only there for a couple hours. I mean, I drive three hours, I'm there for maybe three hours, and I drive three hours back, you know. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't have a whole lot of time on weekends as as I'd have had in the past so
3: Stink's getting old
1: yeah yeah I know (laughs) there you go well my wife's out of town this week on business but otherwise if I'm spending time with her there'll be days she just goes don't you want to be upstairs in the train room rebuilding the railroad oh well okay yes I can I can go up there and do that thank you
3: so yeah like don't you don't you really want to go away (laughs) please please i really need you to go away yeah oh
1: maybe i'm trying to get work done here that's right yeah well and i respect that when she's got a project she's working on for a for a client i kind of oh i can see you're busy let me uh take the dog and we'll go upstairs to the train room.
3: Cool. That's when she said, some of us still actually work. You know, and I respect
1: that, Jim. I really do. <laughs>
3: uh-huh.
1: I want you to know I really, really do. Uh-huh.
3: Oh,
1: here's an interesting thing. Jim, I thought of you yesterday. Oh, boy. So I needed some additional legs for the modules. The guy, when he designed it, he didn't do anything wrong. He said, I wanted. Two extra legs for two of these intersecting modules, so I could put more axion or A line boxes Uh that I could create shelves and spans. So I needed to buy two more of these. And so I'm a volunteer that to a group, and we keep all the what they call the neutral ground medians, if you will, between the boulevard we do the tree trimming and stuff the city allows us to do that because then they don't have to dedicate crews to it they'll come and pick up the trimmings but so we're out there and i'm talking to the guy that actually heads up that whole program because we're working on the boulevard we live on and i said do you know any carpenters he said well yeah my brother builds furniture and i said okay that qualifies so I made a contact with him, gave him them dimensions for the legs, uh, you know, where the shoulders were and all this. And when I went and picked him up yesterday, he said, it's just going to work. And we were, you know, just proofing the dimensions, how he had made them out of this three-quarter inch uh, sustainable plywood. And he said, what are you doing with this? And I said, well, they go onto a model railroad module. So I whipped out the phone and showed him a couple photographs. And he goes, is that real? I said, well, yeah, it's an HO scale model. I said, but those are, you know. So I started talking about this and about that. When His father was an architect. When he was a kid and you did the simulations, the architectural model, you did them out of cardstock and materials like that. He's telling about how detailed they were. And I said, well, now you just do a CAD program and you 3D print them. And he goes, what is that? He was unaware of what 3D printing was. So I gave him the quick overview. And I thought, ah, Lincoln was here. We're here. We could have a seminar right here on that with uh, shapeways and stuff. But, yeah, I was, I was amazed because this guy's younger than I am. He was totally unfamiliar with the hows and whys and process of 3D printing, and when I explained it to him, he goes, "No, Kim, that's what that does? I said, "Yep." I said, "Your dad's architectural models now would be printed three dimensionally." And so, but I thought of you yesterday morning, Jim. When I had that conversation with the uh, with the guy. Well, that's good, I guess. Well, no, it just struck me as something we take for granted. I mean, at Alcoa, we were doing 3D printing on prototype uh, designs back in the late 80s. You know? So it's not like it's uh, a technology that just cropped up overnight. So anyway, but it was interesting. Nice guy, did great work, and now he's familiar with. 3d printing with resin so he said well wait a minute he said do you need any lathe work? And I said lathe work? I said like what? he says well like street lamp post I said you mean out of wood? yeah he said I've got the lathes I've got all this stuff he said if you need lights let me know that I can drill them for running the wires up to it, and it gave me an idea <laughs> of maybe coming up with a design and having this guy do HF scale various round instead of injection molded and stuff, make huh. them out of wood.
3: Interesting. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So, whatever else is round, telephone yep. poles or whatever, tree yep. trunks. Mm
3: hmm. So who knows? Yeah, tree trunks aren't tree trunks aren't necessarily round.
1: No, that's true. That was
3: uh, roundish.
1: Uh, you could do like Douglas fir stuff like that, maybe conifers. There's a right. Yeah, they're round and yep. they have a taper. But you certainly do that in wood, and then just drill mm-hmm. and put on the super tree foliage or whatever you wanted to do for branches. Oh, yeah. May have to talk to him about this and see. Might be a new business. So oh, I know what I was going to ask you, Chris. What else do you guys have coming down the pike that you can share? That might be well, in the pre-order phase. No, well, think... right
2: now, we're pre-ordering SDP-45s.
1: Okay, and... another run of SDP-45s
2: something special about those SDP 45s is we're putting together uh we're contributing to a fundraiser to take the real Erie Lackawanna 3639 it's in Roanoke Virginia right now and their intention is to move it from Roanoke and bring it to Ohio for restoration and they're at the Crown fundraiser stage right now, and they're over halfway to their goal to, to for this first phase of, you know, just getting it from Roanoke to Ohio. And part of what, what's interesting about that is uh, Atherton is going to contribute per Erie Lackawanna 3639 that that we've announced. We're going to Make a contribution to that effort based upon the pre orders we get for it. Um, but it's important to Athern because that Erie Lackawanna 3639 was the basis for all of our measurements for the model. So there's a little bit of that EL 3639 in all the Genesis models that we produce because that's the one that we took the measurements off of. So as as a goodwill to the to the heritage museum that or I'd say foundation that allowed us access to that locomotive to do this, we wanted to contribute to the restoration of it as well. well I think
1: it's outstanding. Now the Erie Lackawanna version was non-passenger, right? Though.
2: Right, right. They it wanted a the cool long frame for the bigger up, yeah. fuel tank. Right. Okay. Yeah, that was the motivation on that. They they wanted to to run the locomotive without having to refuel all the way to Chicago. I believe it is.
1: Okay. Now, did that have the pointy end, or was it still the blocked off end? Even though it didn't have the generator in.
2: It, it had a conventional angled end, and then it also had the conventional stepwell versus sort of like the upright ladder that the crew had to climb up. At the end
1: okay all right well that's that is neat are you going to do all the versions like you did before though in the run
2: yeah we're doing a Conrail one we're doing a Morrison Newton patch also Southern Pacific and Great Northern are represented in that run as well
1: oh the Morrison Newton patch that is interesting
2: yeah actually it showed up on the SP in the mid mid 90s quite a few times. I, there, I found a photo of the 9515 over in Dallas, Texas on the on the SP about I'd say mid, mid mid-1990s or so. Um, not all of them were rebuilt into the Morrison News SD40m-2s which the SP had. The SP kept Morrison Newson kept a few. And just leaser service like that. And they just sort of roamed all over the system in North America. So oh,
1: That's interesting. I like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm planning on getting a couple for myself right there. Okay. Um, also, we're doing some uh, GP7s and 9s. And uh, the Canadian national one that we just announced, in the GP9s, I think it's a GP9 uh it's the green and yellow scheme and that that's been a a popular request item for us so you're
1: talking about the heritage green and yellow
2: yeah yeah it's the canadian national green and yellow oh wow um, kind of as delivered i believe they yes
1: oh wow that'd be beautiful
2: yeah they, they i mean from the artwork they they look great um We're also doing some second chance type things for uh, the SP, Seaboard Airline, and what's the last one? I forgot. But, yeah, yeah, they're all available on atherin.com. Just go under the the new releases and announcements, and you can check out all of them there.
1: All right. What's the tentative timetable on the pre-order?
2: Uh, The pre-order, they're due, I'd say, by the end of this week, by uh, October 28th. And we're looking to have them delivered, I'd say, by October of next year.
1: Okay. All right. So about a 12-month lead time. All right.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that is incredible. That is incredible. Do you guys ever give any more consideration to doing the... uh, remember you did a couple Southern Pacific Genesis chair cars that were just outstanding. Have you ever given more thought to maybe adding, doing different passenger cars like that?
2: I knew it was a lot of work. It it is a lot of work. And then then it comes down to, well, what do you pick that you can actually... Do that generates enough paint schemes and variety for people to buy into. So it isn't the there's, I think we have a good sort of direction for, for stuff like that in the future. Um, and we're, we're considering a, a lot of different avenues for that. Uh, what it really comes down to is just having enough time on our end and throughput to, to make something like that happen
1: excellent excellent uh, oh i know what i, I was going to ask you the service and parts section that you have there is that still in california oh yeah okay Mhm. and i know some manufacturers you can send a locomotive in if there's a operating program and they can fix it. Do you have a similar situation?
2: We have a warranty on our, I think we have a, a one-year warranty from the time that you purchased the locomotive. Okay. That if there's any problems on it, that you can send it into Athern and they will look at it. And if it needs any sort of uh, maintenance, they'll do it. Okay. Well, um, this
1: is out of warranty. This is my big boy. Okay. And it's got a load. When you watch a head in, a head on movie of it, and I think there's one on my YouTube channel, you can see the, the front of it just kind of like gallop. So I don't know if I've got a binding in the gears on that, on the front articulated section that's causing it to rise up or maybe it's not quartered right. But, Mm. so I thought, Let me ask Chris if they've got a way of, because I'm not even, yeah, I look at it and I go, I have no idea because the rear eight wheels are just as smooth. But the front one's got this, like it's a galloping pony and you can actually, Hmm. your eye will pick up slight vertical movement in there. Okay. I was hoping you would say, yeah, we'll fix it. We'll charge it, but we'll fix it. Well,
2: yeah. there, there's that too. I mean, you you can call up parts or uh, customer support at com and and have a conversation with them. Um, that, that's that would be the first place that I would turn, and if if they have a program for those things, then yeah, I, absolutely.
1: Okay. All right, because I when I knew the big boy was. On its way, I ended up building 51 or 52 wood stock cars.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: They were all proto kits. Because I researched, just like you did with the PFA, I researched big boy photos on the web, and I noticed, wow, look at that. Here's a whole string of... uh stock cars and you know it's ca5 caboose i went out and found a ca5 caboose, and i built all these kits because i couldn't find them. proto made a few of them ready to run but mainly you were building them. and yeah they're beautiful especially once they were weathered to make them dusty and dirty and i'm going well i certainly hate to not run this locomotive now that i got 50 cars that I can tow behind it. So, <laughs>
4: all
1: right, I may have that conversation with one of the gentlemen there in California and see if there's an avenue to get this checked out and fixed. All right.
2: Isn't it amazing that once you start researching prototype photos for the train, yeah. how much it'll change you, the realization of how much you got to still build that that's what i'm kind of blown away with. I thought, "Oh, well, i'll just get these RTR cars and
4: call it a day." <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm realizing just by the, vers- the diversity on the train that i'm it's forcing me to do projects that i kind of like, "Nah, that'll be too much work, so i'm not going to do that." And i or i have no interest. Well, now i have an interest because i'm trying to do the train correctly, you know. So <clears throat> Yeah, it, it'll get you building when you start looking at a prototype train. It's like, okay, well, I got to do that car and that car. And that, Well, all those cars are kit bashes or something else, you know?
1: Well, just, I've got an Amtrak train that is still running your locomotive, but it's high level. A couple of them are the heritage uh, Santa Fe era cars, and the others are the uh, Bombardier era. And so i took them apart which is not the easiest thing in the world and i thought well i'm going to paint the interiors so i researched the photos and then i thought well if i'm going this far let's get people in you're
3: going to paint the interior of what
1: of these high level amtrak passenger cars
3: oh amtrak passenger cars okay sorry
1: no i'm going to paint the pigs inside the cattle cars
3: and... I was going to say, you're going to paint the inside of the cattle cars. Yeah. I can tell you what color to paint them. Yeah,
1: it's going to be poopy brown. So... That's right. That's that's, that's easy. <laughs> so I did this and got all these tiny brushes, did it, painted the seats, painted the armrests, all this stuff. The walls, the stairs up. Got the painted people, some standing downstairs where the rest are the and when I put it back together, I went, you know, you can't see probably 60% of what I painted. There's just no way you can move your eye to see much below the window line. And I thought, okay, next time I do this, I'm only going to paint the top part of the seat backs and the top part of the armrest. And I'm not going to worry about the carpet. And flooring because you can't see it and you can't even see the people when it's in a train at three feet away and I'm going okay well I did it now I know you can't see it so let's not do that again let's spend our time on something <laughs> that you can see
2: yeah, I mean, it, it's really easy to get kind of lost into that
1: oh, that
2: aspect of the hobby.
1: Yes, yeah, I tell the story of my friend back in Phoenix who cut mail, pieces of HO scale mail for the RPO cars. And I went, Alan, you can't see it. I said, even if I turn the car at an angle and look through the big door windows, you can't see all your work. He said, but I know it's there. I went, okay, good enough.
2: (laughs) Fair enough.
1: Yeah, fair enough. You know it's there. You're happy. And now when you pull the roof off the car, you know, how you twist the uh, protos and the roof releases went off. I see all your envelopes and all the bags are stuck with mail. Good job. And then put the roof on. Okay. Can't see it anymore.
2: (laughs) Yep. Next. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Next. So here's a, here's a diner. Go paint food on the plates. Paint the plates. Yeah. uh, Paint the food on the plates. So just don't put window blinds in or you won't be able to see it. (laughs) I do put window blinds in the, uh, passenger car style
3: that's right then you don't then you don't, have, then you don't have to paint the interior
1: i know i i made that connection jim but
3: you Masters, should have thought of that you should have thought of that before before yes
2: you, you did the entire interior yes but you know what's hilarious jim
1: so i've got all these different era window blinds that i got through Railmaster's hobbies and exactly jim i don't want to paint the interiors anymore what were you saying, Chris?
2: Oh, we got modelers that, that can see putting mail into the RPO cars. But, you know, at the same token, are they going to put on joint bars on their tracks?
3: Nope. No, they will not. You know why? And then they'll say, oh, you can't see that. Really? Okay. Well, you actually can't see the mail. You actually can see <laughs> joint parts <laughs> but in welded rail Don't, how
1: far apart are yeah there's a quarter mile scenes right
3: okay but most, quarter of, mile most of these people they're
1: they're most of
3: these down? but mo- most of these people are not modeling oh, welded temporary
1: rail. they're doing jointed rail
3: most people i mean the vast majority of people who model are modeling the transition error and they're okay. not and even then okay so are you modeling a rail yard well it's not you don't have joint you don't have welded rail in a rail yard good point
2: yeah welded rail only on pretty much sightings and and main line but but then again you know even welded rail you'll find joints on it around signal blocks and things like that or or grade crossings where they need to isolate some sort of sensor or something
3: yeah or the joints around welds. Yes. Um, those are interesting too. So there are plenty. I mean, and what do most people model? They're not modeling everybody, you know, they've got a yard on the railroad, they've got sidings on the railroad, they have interlockings on the railroad because they're cool. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of joint bars in every turnout. Every turnout's got joint bars, every single one. Even in a section of welded rail, it's got joint bars in the turnout.
1: Okay, so people make these decal parts in HO? Of
2: course, yeah. Yep.
3: And you can see them because, you know, people. well, you can't see joint bars. Well, okay, well, then, then you show them a picture taken from 300 feet away of a railroad yard, and you can see the places where the joint bars are.
2: Oh, I understand your point. So so, that's the three-foot rule scaled out to real uh life.
3: Right. So which is actually about 250 feet. So if you take a picture 250 feet away and you can't see it, fine. But don't tell me you can't see them. Tell me you don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. That's that's a totally different thing because you can't see it is a cop-out. Because you absolutely can't see the mail and the mail putting in the yard. In the, in the <laughs> okay, now we've got the
1: decoders with the clickety-clack of jointed rail sounds.
3: And they're probably running them on welded rail railroads. Yes.
1: Well, of course they are.
3: I turned mine it down. I shut cool. the
1: volume off, but it does sound impressive.
3: Oh, I'm sure. Well, the other thing you could say it's not clicky clack; it's it's uh, flat wheels. Okay,
2: there. That's a different CV. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty cool when you get a few flat wheels in a train. You know, when if, it's moving.
3: If the flat wheels are not really pronounced, so if the flat spots aren't really bad, they kind of sounded like they kind of sound a little like jointed rail, a little. So. That that you could kinda let slide, but
1: um. I like the ones that are just like a marching band. Boom, boom, boom. You know, somebody drug the car with the wheels locked for a oh. half a mile.
3: Yeah, you're not the one standing in the vestibule while that's going on.
1: <laughs>
4: no, you're not. Bow, 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 bow.
2: I was in a Southwest chef that or Southwest chief that had that exact same thing on the rear rear very rear of the train you could hear that flat wheel the entire trip
3: that's why you know you go in just just to give something a song that will stick in somebody's head that will never leave the wheels on the train go bang 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 wheels on the train go bang 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 all day long Bang, 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 bang. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, thank yeah, you. I've been hearing that, that all accurate, night. Then that accurately describes any one of our our um, single-level car sets. Okay, the, uh, so yeah, who
1: makes the Joint bar?
3: Oh, I think makes some. Yeah. Um, Bill Brillinger makes them. I can't remember what it, the name of his company is. Oh, okay. He, he advertises for on on uh, MRH. He, Bill Brillinger makes them. No,
2: he's the um, main. Yeah. Proto eighty seven stores. They make some photo etch ones. Who does? Okay. All Proto, Proto eighty seven.
3: I make a style in um, O scale, and um, there are other styles made by that. Jay Criswell sells under the right-of-way name brand, you know, but, um, I mean, I mean the, the thing is, is when you have a ton of track, it's like, okay, I understand you don't want to put, you know, joint bars all over the place, you drive you crazy, but, um, you know, what about in your interlockings and stuff like that, okay. which are points or of focus? Or
1: turnouts, like you said, turnouts and sightings.
3: Right. Or, or points of focus, you know. Yes. So maybe not in the middle of a field, you know, you've got a farm, you have a farm and the train, you know, trains running through a farm, farm scene, then maybe not there, but, you know, you know, what about in an industrial complex or cause they're certainly not, unless it's a really modern, um, um, transflow facility Yeah. or, or piggyback, um, container port. That probably yeah. is heavy-duty welded rail. I'll give you that, but yeah, the newer it is, the more likely it is that it's welded rail. The older the yard is, it's all it's all jointed.
1: All right, I will get some, and when I rebuild any turnouts, I will for sure put them there.
3: Well, the the big thing is is you got to you have to look where they belong.
1: Well, yeah, don't just
3: slap them in. Um, but there are, there are particular places if you get turnout diagrams there are particular places in the turnout where they belong where you don't they're not just at the ends they're in, they're in the middle like they they obviously there's joint bars at the frog and the curved rails so all the rails in the middle okay of the turnout so the closure rails the closure rails all have joint bars in them they're not solid pieces
1: all right, so where do you go to find, just Google railroad turnouts or switches?
3: Um, pretty much. Okay. Um, that's what I did for, I got a, the, the last turnout I built in pro, in um, Proto 48, I found, a, I Googled it, and it's a Canadian Pacific prototype. Okay. But most turnouts are essentially the same. So it shows the tie placement, I mean, it's an exact scale jarring. There are a lot of them that are really basic and don't. You know, like, you would never be able to use them as, as a modeling tool. They're just kind of this is what a turnout does type photograph. But okay. um, if you do search it correctly, you will find several actual scanned documents from, you know, like the Canadian Pacific Plan Book or there's a bunch of them on the Pennsylvania Railroad Historical Society site.
1: Okay, I'll find some I Can do that.
3: Yeah. You, you that's
1: fun. And I, yeah, I, you know,
3: and that's not that many. You know, that's not that many joint bars, and then you can have those things stand out.
1: And you just put them on the visible side, right?
3: No, I put them everywhere. But,
1: Even on the side you can't see?
3: Yeah, but my railroad's going to be portable, so it's a little different. Okay. I mean, if it's far enough away that no one will ever see it, you're never going to stick a camera in it. If you are never going to stick a camera so that they can see it, if it's impossible to do it, then fine. Don't put, a, don't put a joint bar there. If, however, there's a theoretical possibility at some point in the future there may be a joint bar visible, I'd put it there. But in a staging yard, No. Okay. You know, the last track by the backdrop on your yard? No. Fine. You know, just put them on the front. You barely can reach it anyway. All right. If you really want to go crazy, you can put in all the uh, appropriate, um, what are the the rail
2: anchors? Oh, yeah. That that creates a whole new challenge there.
1: Well, uh, Pico, I noticed on their concrete tie rail, they've got that simulated uh, noodle that anchors uh, the rail to the tie, which I thought was a nice detail.
3: Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, but that's kind of like the spike. So um, I, I've thought of, you know, how you could do that in, um, in O-scale. It, it really would kind of require um, print, you know, injection molding the whole tie as a piece you know because those are they use the same tie plates for wood ties too so for ultra modern stuff that is a very common prototype to see but all those tie plates are screwed in they're not spiked yeah they uh, they just connected differently that's all not a big deal you know but Standard tie plates are still mixed in well enough. that It depends on your prototype if you really want to go crazy. Most people, I'd say probably 99% of people are never going to know the difference. And even even then, unless you were modeling a very specific prototype in, a, in the ultra modern that has just been resurfaced, no one really can say, well, there shouldn't be regular tie plates there. You should have the one with the squiggly piece of metal. Really? Show me. Show me a picture.
0: Okay. Good. good.
3: And then when they yeah, show when you, yeah, we a go a picture, to Google Earth. Well, yeah. And then when they show you a photograph of a little squiggly piece, you know, the, the different type of tie plates. Okay, you got me. This I'm modeling this a week before they did that. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. And, or the um. Oh, no! I can't think. I had it for a second, but it's gone. So not in that, not that important.
1: Anything else you guys want to talk about?
3: Well,
2: I can't really think of anything. Okay. Neither can.
1: All right. Well, I'm glad we got together. I mean, I've been, uh, learned about tie All right, and joint,
2: and joint bars. bars. And I and we all learned about mail and an RPO car. Yes, that you can't see. <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. One last question. Jim, when you post on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. and you're describing a YouTube, Chris, because you've both done it, and you go through and you type out your post, communicate everything you want to, and then you add photos to it so it shows up in that post, right? Uh-huh. Because the last time I tried that, my photos ended up in the photos, disjointed from what I was talking about maybe I did it
3: wrong probably you. well you add it to the post I mean it'll go to photos it'll go into the photo section yeah but it should be added to the
2: post so it would it be, it'll, be on, it'll be in two places
3: okay yeah alright
1: because I was going to put in about adding ground lights because it's a simple oh. no brainer
3: right now, oh, what I was going to say is I had somebody, I had shown some pictures of that, you know, the, um, the bridge that that gondola is sitting on. Yeah. Um, uh, is hand laid track, um, uh, jointed, you know, joint bars, all that great stuff. And I filed in, um, dents at the joints. So divots at the joints. Yeah. And I had somebody post and say, and tell me, oh, that's not realistic. It would never get that bad. I remember that.
1: I remember that comment,
3: yes. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, you know, I kind of work for the railroad, and I have seen them that bad.
2: (laughs) They consider it good.
3: (laughs) yeah well no no i mean to be fair it's not common it's gonna be in a section that's very poorly maintained because as long as they keep the bolts tight on the joint bars it's probably not going to happen okay the thing is if it's on a you know if it's on a section of track that's you know the the speed limit it's on it is 10 and they don't care and it's in the middle of the woods well i'm not going to get out while i'm going 10 miles an hour And take a photograph of it. If it were even legal for me to have my camera, which it technically isn't. No, I'm not supposed to. You're not supposed to have an electronic device on you while working. Okay. So, you know, and if you're in the middle of nowhere going over the joints, rocking back and forth, ka chunk, ka chunk, ka chunk, you know, or you're walking, you know, a section of track because you got to go you know, pick up some cars and you're walking past this joint that's all, like, divoted. It's like, I've seen it, but I haven't had the opportunity to take a picture of it, and it's nowhere where you could go legally. So, ugh. yeah, there's plenty of stuff out there that you'll never see pictures of.
2: Uh, you know, honestly, Jim, I've seen a lot of oh, yeah. divoted on... On the SP coastline, when SP was doing it,
4: mm-hmm.
2: I mean they maintained it to 45 miles per hour, and they it still had the the divots. Yeah, you know between the different yeah. rails. Yeah, I mean particularly if you've got
3: you know, I, I guess with high speed and heavy loads, if you're not Johnny on the yeah. spot with the rail joiners keeping them tight, you're going to get you know if those if the if the rails at the joint move at all, you're going to get the you're going to get the divots at the joints it's just the, right. what's going to happen anyway so yeah and there's plenty of stuff out there that when people say ah that'll never happen well go work for the railroad and then tell me it won't
2: yeah or, or just go out and rail fan for a little bit and tell me you not <laughs>
3: well, well maybe the railroad i mean you know he's the gentleman was up in canada and it's like well maybe the the Canadian railroads do a better job with maintenance than American ones, too. Do.
2: So, I don't know about all that.
3: I don't I, know I, either.
2: I, but there, there were big stretches of uh, jointed rail up there in Canada for a long period of time.
3: Oh, but that doesn't mean they didn't maintain it well.
2: Uh, yeah, well.
3: I don't know. At least the videos
2: I, I saw looked sort of like spaghetti. You know, ah, just each rail was crowned. <laughs> uh
3: huh. Yeah, I think my comment was you need to get out more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, okay. Sounds like it's been fun, been interesting. It was really kind of weird, uh, Chris, because when 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 I was on my cell phone listening to this, I couldn't hear your side of the conversation. Interesting. Yeah. So. He'd talk. It's like he'd go, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this ain't going to last.
2: <laughs> Crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Got a good old Skype for you. This is what happens when you update it. <laughs>
3: well, no, it was on my cell phone. So I kind of, I, I you know, I, I put it out to the fact that I was he was calling me through my cell, through Skype. But it was coming oh. through my phone. It wasn't. Does that make it wasn't through Skype? It was an actual call. Got it. Yeah. You know, so Sky, Skype didn't activate, so I wasn't on Skype. I was anyway. But it, yeah, Got it was it. kind of funny. I would just hear it was kind of like a, you know a Bob Newhart sketch.
2: <laughs> oh jeez. Well, both of you guys uh-huh. have
1: come in super clear and loud this this session.
2: Oh, good. Yeah.
3: Good, good, good. I was kind of concerned because sometimes I get echo.
1: No, not All today. The thing is crystal clear, even when you were All in your right. car at the beginning. Oh, good. Yeah.
3: Good. All
1: right. It was excellent. All right. All right. Well, thanks. we can wrap this up.
3: All righty. Thank you.
1: I appreciate you guys' time. All right. Thanks. All right, All boys.
2: Good. All right, bud. We'll see ya.